0: Alright, well, Galatians, we said that uh, Corinth was the troubled church. Galatians is the bewitched church, Uh, not by a witch uh, or a warlock or anything, but um, just fooled, duped. And uh, so just as as Corinth was troubled, these guys are struggling with, uh, well, Corinth was struggling with division and a variety of moral issues. The church of Galatia, they're duped by the Judaizers, And then, of course, they were haunted by uh, what we call legalism. The Judaizers, uh, how many of you guys have heard of the Judaizers? Yeah, interesting spelling, too. Uh, They were Jews who believed themselves to be Christians. Uh, They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they believed that it was also necessary to be circumcised and uh, keep the law of Moses. Now, of course, this was something being communicated to Gentile Christians, because all the Jews were already circumcised, but they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, not in order to be saved, uh, but in order to be pleasing to God, okay? Uh, These men brought this doctrine to the church. Uh, The churches, rather, that Paul had planted, but it was to the churches of Galatia uh, that had embraced the teaching the most. Now, there is a, a debate is... The book of Galatians written to a city or is it written to a region, uh, to the, uh, the territory originally to the Gauls? <clears throat> I think that it's to a region, uh, to a number of cities, rather than just to one community of faith. And, uh, and that would be consistent with uh, the problem that Paul had with the Judaizers, not just in a isolated place, but all over the place. So real quick, uh, people ask me, what is, what is legalism? Uh, legalism usually comes in two forms. Uh, it's rules you have to obey to be saved or rules that you have to obey to be sanctified or a combination of both. Okay, so it's rules that you have to keep, uh, laws you have to keep in order to be justified or saved and then uh, laws, rules that you'd have to keep in order to be sanctified or to be considered godly in God's eyes in his perspective and uh, today there are various forms of legalism because man is creative and they love to come up with the latest and the greatest thing. Uh, you guys, in your time, I'm sure you've heard of a multitude of things that um, people had tried to impose on you as some uh, thing that you had to obey in order to be a good Christian uh, or something. And, um, but anyway, but the legalism we find in, in uh, the book of Galatians has to do with regulations concerning the law of Moses, okay? Uh, The issue was first dealt with in Acts 15 when the apostles had gathered together uh, in Jerusalem. What had happened, that Paul and Barnabas had uh, returned to Antioch and there was some Judaizers that had come up from Jerusalem and they were trying to say that the, the Gentiles had to be circumcised, keep the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas had a dispute with them, an argument, and so the church sent uh, Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to address this issue uh, with the apostles and the elders in the church there. And uh, you can read all about it. It's, uh, it's an amazing uh, thing, that the conclusion that they come to, because it just simplifies everything uh, for the Gentile believer especially. And, um, yeah. But sadly, uh, nothing was really resolved for the Judaizers by the decision of the apostles and uh, today there are many who ignore the conclusion of that meeting as well, and uh, and then also uh, Paul's instruction from the book of Galatians and then various places in his letters where he addresses it. So it's interesting, the book of Galatians is an entire letter that addresses this issue, whereas like Romans uh, chapter 14 and 15, uh, Colossians chapter two, uh, parts of Ephesians three, Uh, This is portions where Paul hints to it and talks about it, but Galatians is an entire letter that's committed uh, to this issue. And um, so yeah, so let's get into it a little bit. Uh, Author, uh, I think we've probably given that away. Paul identifies himself as the author immediately, verse 1. He does again in chapter 5, verse 2. No one of a rational mind or of objective scholarship would say that Paul is not the author. It's just... It's not happening, and uh, that's been the case uh, since the first, um, earliest parts, first and second century. The date, uh, when Paul wrote it, uh, that's not as easy to determine uh, because Paul is fairly ambiguous about uh, a detail. Uh, The date is based on uh, when Paul visited Jerusalem as he mentions it in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, it, it's difficult to determine if he's talking about his second visit to Jerusalem or his third visit. So in other words, is he talking about his Acts chapter 11 visit or his Acts chapter 15 visit? And uh, there are good guys on both sides of this who debate about um, what visit was it. And the thing is, is there's challenges that are associated with both views. And at this point, I'm, I kind of lean toward one but I'm, I'm not fully decided. And so uh, we are going to the book of Galatians next on Sunday mornings. And I will potentially come up with a position by that time. Not that that's uh, all that important. Um, the early date is 48 AD. Of course, that's based upon uh, Acts 11, Jerusalem visit. And then uh, the latter date is AD 55, which would be based upon his Acts uh, chapter 15 visit. Now, either date doesn't really affect the interpretation of the book, but one interpretation, uh, or one date rather, may not be so good for Peter. In uh, Galatians chapter 2, 11 through uh, 14, Paul confronts Peter uh, for persuading Gentiles that they need to eat uh, kosher to please God. And uh, So he gets in his face, uh, he calls him a hypocrite, not being straightforward about the gospel. If this event preceded the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, uh, Peter's actions occurred before the conclusion of the council. Uh, And uh, if Peter behaved this way after the council, uh, then Peter was a worse hypocrite. (laughs) Uh, But either way, uh, he's a hypocrite. Uh, and the reason is, is because in Acts chapter 10, he went to Cornelius' house and when he is making his way back, he is confronted uh, by these people and they say, you went into his house mm-hmm. and you ate with them? Mm-hmm. And do you know what the implication is there? He wasn't eating kosher. He wasn't eating food that was clean. And, uh, and uh, Peter... Defends himself, and uh, so it makes me wonder if the Jerusalem Council shouldn't have happened in Acts chapter 11, uh, rather than waiting until it it boiled up and over in Acts chapter 15. Uh, But I think the the Lord's timing obviously is best. So um, the 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 conflict then is so how could he then go to Antioch and persuade Gentile believers to eat uh, as a Jew? when he had not, uh, when he was with Cornelius. So either way, uh, Peter was out of line. And that'll be a fun discussion when we get there on Sundays. What about doctrinal contributions? Um, now, quick, the, the real challenge of uh, uh, facing, I think, the interpreter of the book of Galatians is their knowledge of Romans. Uh, people, people love Romans, and so what they do is they immerse themselves in the language and the, the, the flow of Paul's logic in the book of Romans. And then because they're similar language, they try to impose that on the book of Galatians as if Paul is trying to make the same point and as if he's coming to the same conclusion when he's not. And um, that causes a lot of problems. And um, yeah, I struggled for years uh, trying to... Um, because I was assuming that Paul was using the same language in the exact same way uh, and then what I was doing was trying to harmonize that with the context and I could never get him to harmonize. Me and Gabe have had this conversation. and um, But as soon as I stopped forcing this, this narrow definition to the language and just allowed the context to define the terms as we're supposed to do anyway, everything quickly harmonized and uh, uh, which you just realize quickly that the problem is just with you as always, right? When we have a a conflict with the scriptures. So in Romans, uh, Paul's concern in chapter three, verse 21 through 425 is legal righteousness. It's Christ's imputed righteousness to the believer. That's what his whole discussion is about. But in Galatians, Paul's concern is practical righteousness, the righteousness that comes from walking by faith according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he has that big conclusion in chapter five about walking in the Spirit, okay? So rather than Galatians uh, contributing anything new, uh, Paul brings a great deal of clarity to the issue of practical righteousness uh, versus this legal righteousness that we see in Romans. So he's not telling the Galatians how to get saved. That's what a lot of people have thought when they come to the interpretation of Galatians. He's not doing that. He's talking about how to live godly lives. And he's coming to them and saying, it's not by keeping the law of Moses, okay? yeah, which is consistent with Acts chapter 15. Now, all evangelicals, uh, there's, and, and when I say all, I mean you cannot be an evangelical uh, if you believe that you can be saved by keeping the law. So there are no evangelicals that believe that. But there are those who believe that we must keep portions of the law uh, in order to be obedient and pleasing to God. But what is interesting is that among those who think we're obligated to obey parts of the law can't agree on which parts. They can't agree. Uh, And you have different groups that have different expectations, uh, different ideas about what we're supposed to keep as uh, Gentiles, and the debate rages, and it just goes on and on and on. Um, I've always been, uh, you know, historical, historically, like covenant theology, would have us keep Sabbath, but they can't decide if it's Saturday or Sunday or a combination of the two. They just don't know. Uh, they, they feel like we have an obligation to uh, the first day of the week, because Jesus rose, and that was the day the, the apostles gathered. And they say, well, but the original Sabbath was on Saturday, and so some keep both And then some of them argue over one or the other. And um, yeah. So um, um, James Montgomery Boyce wasn't trying to get into the debate as a Presbyterian pastor. But in his preaching, uh, he was forced into the debate because he said, um, there's no Sabbath prescription for Gentiles. And uh, he said, so I'm not going to keep any of them. And they tried to throw him out of the the conservative Presbyterian denomination. Uh, They were unsuccessful. Because uh, they couldn't, um, I don't think they could compete with his arguments, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, None of the groups that do this can account for the law uh, being fulfilled in its entirety by Christ or that the establishment of the new covenant in Christ's blood has made all of it obsolete, according to the author of Hebrews in chapter 8. And one of the things that I think is very interesting is that no one, uh, no group, is able to distinguish with any real accuracy or agreement between what is purely ceremonial law and what is not. They can't. And the reason is is because the scriptures never do. Uh, Jesus talks about the law and the prophets. He never divides the law into various kinds of things. Uh, But in the scriptures, the law is one. It's always one. And it's always umbrellaed by the Ten Commandments and everything else is an outworking of that or um, with the sacrificial laws, it's it's, uh, making atonement for problems with it. And so everything is bound or hinges on the Ten Commandments. And um, so that's problematic because in almost every instance uh, where the New Testament says that we're not under the law, guess what the context is referring to? The Ten Commandments, yep, nearly every single time. Uh, Romans chapter 7, uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, almost every single one of them is a reference to the Ten Commandments. In Galatians 3.10, Paul said, everyone who is of the works of the law is under the curse. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, cursed is the man who does not continue in all things uh, which are written in the law to do them. Uh, that's, and he quotes that in Galatians 3.10. And the interesting thing is, is that when you go to Deuteronomy uh, 27, a number of the commands mentioned there are drawn from the Ten Commandments. So Paul is staying consistent with himself uh, throughout the whole argument. And, um, and Paul is not trying to encourage people to be more committed to the law in order to avoid the curse He's trying to keep people away from the old covenant and, uh, and get them to trust wholly in Christ and, uh, and become dependent upon his grace rather than some external uh, code of ethics. Okay. Uh, Paul makes that clear in Titus chapter two. Uh, Paul, in the same section here, he says, Paul, God didn't give the law to help his people be righteous people. He gave them a law to point out their unrighteousness. He says in Romans chapter three, that by the law is the knowledge of sin. He says in Romans chapter seven, by the law, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Uh, the the idea is, I think I've used that before, is like a, a magnifying glass. Uh, when you set on something and you draw it back, it makes whatever you're trying to magnify larger and larger. Sin, or the, the Ten Commandments rather, uh, has that effect on the human heart is it shows you that your lie isn't just simply uh, a small infraction between people, but it's a violation of God's character. Uh, it's, it's sinful. It makes sin exceedingly sinful. And uh, so the lie is, is meant to bring us to a place and an end of ourselves to where we realize that there's nothing good in us, that we need Christ through and through. And um, yeah. And then Paul concludes, he says, therefore, The law was uh, our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. So it's clear, the law is the tutor, and uh, once we've come to faith in Christ, the tutor is put away. We're no longer under, and when Paul uses the word under, he means under its authority, under its jurisdiction. That's gone. And um, I remember reading a Presbyterian Uh, pastor interpret this, and he said that it means that the law leads us to Christ for justification, and then Christ leads us back to the law for sanctification, that is, for practical righteousness. Uh, The text doesn't say that, uh, and it's the exact point that Paul is arguing against in the entire book, so it's like, (laughs) it's very interesting. And then he says in Galatians 5.5, he says, for we... Through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, not legal righteousness. We are not hoping for legal righteousness, amen? If we're still hoping for that, we're not saved, okay? We're hoping for the righteousness that comes by faith, the life of righteousness that comes through dependence on the Holy Spirit as we walk in his power, uh, not by observing the law. And that's why Paul places so much emphasis on walking in the spirit to overcome the life in the flesh. Yep. So let's look at our uh, our outline. I stole it from Geisler. He breaks the, the book up into three major sections. Uh, he calls it liberty stated, liberty defended, and liberty applied. So look at each of these real quick. Uh, liberty stated, uh, it's more of the introduction in Paul. Uh, uh, preparing his argument. Chapter one and chapter two is all about Paul preparing his argument, so he's going to defend his apostleship, um, and then he's going to prove his apostleship by confronting Peter, and, uh, and then he will um, go into his whole argument. Uh, Paul says that he received the gospel independently from the apostles. We know that on the road to Emmaus, it was Jesus who uh, brought him to faith personally. It wasn't from an apostle or a delegate like Philip. It was just him and the Lord. And uh, that uh, plays into his calling as an apostle. Later on, he was received by the apostles who confirmed his calling, okay? And then in chapter two is that confrontation with Peter uh, to kind of demonstrate, you know, Peter was a chief apostle, and uh, Paul treated him like he was just another guy, who was in violation of New Covenant principles. And then there's liberty defended. He calls it a, a three-point argument. He talks about what faith does, what law does, and what law is. Uh, with what faith does, he talks about a bunch of things. He says that uh, by faith we receive the Holy Spirit. Verse two: by faith we receive uh, miracles. Verse five. Uh, that's chapter three by the way we receive justification we receive sonship to abraham verse seven and we receive the blessing of abraham verse four that's all stuff i'll get into when i teach uh, verse by verse through he says what uh, law does uh, first there's what law cannot do he says it cannot annul the covenant of abraham now when you study the covenants Uh, and you study it in the context of Romans chapter four and here in Galatians chapter three, the covenant made to Abraham preceded the law. It preceded the law. So the promises and the blessings of the covenant with Abraham have nothing to do with the law. And Paul says that by the introduction of the law, it can't annul that, it can't take that away. So all of the promises and the blessings are experienced apart from the law. And we as Gentiles, we had nothing to do with the law. And so we just pick up on the, uh, the promise to Abraham, okay? Which I'm glad for. Um, and also the law cannot provide the inheritance, verse 18. And then what, what the law does, uh, it, he says it, it includes that everyone is a sinner. Remember, same thing in Romans 3, uh, 19 and 20. It, it, uh, it brings the knowledge of sin, It it demonstrates that everybody's a sinner. Nobody looks at the Ten Commandments and says, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty good guy. Okay, everybody looks at it and concludes, I've lied, I've stolen, I've coveted, and on and on the list goes. James says if you break one of them, you're guilty of all of them. Okay, so you're a sinner, you're in need of a savior. Um, What else? He says, uh, kept us under guard until faith in Christ was revealed. Now, I'll explain in the exposition that when Paul speaks here in chapter 3, us is a reference to the Jews because the Gentiles never had the law. And Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 2. He said the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, okay, they kind of do, and and they know what's in the law okay, because God has uh, embedded it in the conscience or created in the image of God. So here when he says us, He's referring to the Jews. The law was a schoolmaster to the Jew because they had the law. The Gentile didn't. When he gets into chapter four, he starts talking directly to the Gentile about idols and things. Um, and he says, what law is, uh, he says, that's verse 24, it's a tutor to lead us to Christ. Liberty defended, a threefold appeal. Uh, the first appeal is to uh, pride. He wants to consider their past to bondage. Now this is to the gentiles because he does talk about uh, them worshipping things that by nature aren't gods. So he can't be talking to the gentile now or to the Jew. He's talking to the Gentile. And he reminds them that the things that you worshipped, they were nothing. And uh, so why would you want to go back to worshipping nothing? And then he he basically concludes now that they've come to the living God, why would they want to go back to the bondage of a whole new set of regulations? Especially when God is not imposing those He's not obligating those Then he appeals to their affection uh, Just addressing the relationship that they had That they cared for him and he cared for them And he appeals to the intellect Paul provides this great uh, allegory uh, About the two covenants And uh, it's just just a fun section And the way he, he, he builds that allegory Mind you This is the one place in the scriptures where um, Paul allegorizes a true story, where he affirms the truth of the historical events of Hagar and Sarah and the the law given at Mount Sinai and bondage with its children at Jerusalem, things like that. But then he uses it as illustration for contemporary truth with himself. Um, My view is that you should never allegorize scripture in, as an end in itself. But you can use it as an illustrate to illustrate, uh, use Old Testament stories to illustrate New Testament truth without uh, saying that the Old Testament narrative is untrue. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's a debate we can get into later. Um, all right, liberty applied. He says the greatest enemy to liberty is legalism. Uh, the greatest error in liberty is lawlessness. The greatest exercise of liberty is love. Can't argue with that, can you? Um, what do I want to say about that? The, the enemy of liberty, as we've already said, legalism consists of laws imposed on God's people that God is not imposing on them, Okay. And what is interesting is um, the, when you read the epistles of Paul, you never find him imposing old covenant principles on new covenant people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. There's just no example of it. And, uh, and so, as some would say, especially in covenant theology, is they believe in something called continuity. Uh, and they believe that the old covenant things are held in continuity with the new covenant. They're not really fulfilled and um, um, made obsolete as we would define them, especially as I've defined them uh, from Hebrews chapter eight, but they say that they they just have continuity, they just flow in. And so a friend of mine says that whatever um, is not stated in the New Testament has already been stated in the Old Testament. But what about to the Gentile? Who would have taught the Gentile that if the apostles didn't? The Judaizers. They would be the only ones because we find no instruction like that in the New Testament. One of the the peculiar things uh, in this is that the book of Romans, Paul had never been to Rome. So we can't say that uh, as with like Ephesus and Corinth, well, Paul was already there and already taught them all those things. So people have used that argument but when it comes to Rome, and when it comes to Colossae, Paul had never been there. And he never says anything about those things. Okay, so who would have informed these Gentile converts of Old Covenant stuff if the apostles were not? It's the Judaizers, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, the error that arises from uh, liberty uh, misunderstood is lawlessness, that is immorality. You remember in the book of Romans, Romans chapter six, verse one, Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? They were using liberty as an opportunity for immorality, and that is not uh, what grace does. That's not what liberty does uh, when it's informed, okay? Uh, It doesn't create lawlessness. It creates loyalty to God. And then he says, "The greatest exercise of liberty is love, and uh, I'll conclude here with some of these verses that Paul uses. He says, "For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love." Galatians 5:5. 5, 5. Circumcision, uncircumcision, means nothing. Now of course, when I say circumcision and uncircumcision to most Westerners, Uh, They go, that means nothing to me anyway, okay? But when somebody was circumcised, they became a, we might say, a child of the covenant. As Soon as they were circumcised, they became obligated, okay, to keep all of the law of Moses. And Paul says, circumcised or not means nothing, okay? Means nothing, it avails nothing, it does nothing for you, but faith working through love. He says, for you, brethren, that's Galatians 5.5, he says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Uh, That's 5.13. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. And then it's interesting, you know, we have the singular, the fruit, and then he lists a whole ton of things. And I've come to understand that what it means is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then love manifests, manifests itself through joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And uh, that's it. Love. Okay, that's all I have for Galatians. And I want to spoil the whole book for you before we get into it. On, if we ever get together again on Sundays... My goodness. I'm kidding, we're gonna survive this and uh, I think we're gonna look back and uh, laugh at some of the things that we did so or be ashamed of ourselves. So, All right, so if you have any questions about uh, some of the things I've talked about from Galatians, uh, I'll be here all night, we can chat and um, we'll go from there. Go ahead and stand up, and I'll get you out of here. And if you would, be praying for the elders and myself as we um, try to be wise in what to do. We're talking about live streaming. Of course, everything can be on the radio, but our our concern is to serve people and continue to be a blessing. Did I say radio? Yes. I meant podcast on the internet. We used to be on the radio. Yeah, a long time ago. So, Okay, let's pray. Well, Lord, as I think the great exhortation in the book of Galatians is, uh, as Paul says, stand fast in the liberty with which you've been liberated. Uh, Remain free in this freedom that we've been given and uh, do not be entangled again into a yoke of bondage, referring to the law of Moses, Lord. We wanna live by grace, as Paul says in Titus 2, we want to be disciplined and empowered by grace as we walk in the Spirit. And um, yeah. So, Lord, make us more like you, make us pleasing to you. And at the end of the day, Lord, that you'd smile upon us because you've been pleased by our conduct and our representation of you in the world. And Lord, I do pray for wisdom again for us as a church and uh, the leadership that we can make wise decisions that are most conducive, Lord, for what we read in Acts 2 about the the fellowship and discipleship of your people. I pray, Lord, for the church that in the midst of the panic and chaos that we would be of a sound mind and that we could bring calm to the world and that we could bring light uh, by the gospel. And so, um, Lord, just help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right.